Welcome into Hoops Forum, a production of Radius Athletics and a quick timeout podcast. I'm Tony Miller, and my co-host today is Randy Sherman. As always, thanks to our sponsors over at 323 Sports. If you're thinking about new basketball uniforms for this coming season, let me encourage you to take a look at their 323 Sports Good Game line. Right now, they have a special that's going on, a home and an away uniform. That's jersey and shorts with a shooting shirt for only $145. You can find out more about that at 323sports.com, or you can contact a sales rep at sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your basketball program. Randy, today I've got five questions for you, give or take one or two. And I'm asking them to you, but I think it it would be good for coaches to maybe do a little self-reflection and ask a version of these to themselves before the season starts that hopefully will make them a better teacher, maybe more aware of how their players understand or how they respond to their players if these scenarios happen. Let me start with one that doesn't count towards those five. Okay. Was there a point in time, do you remember there being a point in time when you realized that I'm really a teacher of the game of basketball rather than just like a coach? And I know a lot of people equate those two terms and for for good reason. Yeah. But I do feel like once you realize that you are a teacher of the game, it kind of changes even the way that you interact with your players, explain concepts, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a realization and a growth arc that a lot of coaches go on. Not, not everyone gets there, but, but a lot of coaches go on that growth arc. And I did too. I would say for me, it was sort of about, I'd say maybe my fourth or fifth year as a head coach, I sort of kind of challenge myself to maybe like step up my game as far as like, you know, the things I was teaching our players and sort of what I ask of them, the freedom I gave them on the court. And that almost required that you become a teacher of the game rather than just a, a, uh, you know, someone who just installs things and sits back and observes. So I think I think that realization came after I got sort of more comfortable with sort of like being a head coach and and managing all that goes into the job. Once I got more comfortable with that, it's almost like it freed up a little bit more mental energy for me to grow into that teacher role. Maybe before that, there's too much going on and I just, you know, was just surviving in the basketball space as far as teaching that a subject matter. But when I got a little bit more comfortable with the job, I, I do think I was able to sort of challenge myself to, to step up the, the teaching. We've referenced the book that you haven't taught until they've learned. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think for a lot of young coaches, there is this idea of communicating this knowledge that I've gathered over the course of years or experience playing that I'm going to give to them. And now you're going to go do it. Yeah. And we're going to win games. And the teacher realizes that there is this growth process that goes on and that takes time and there's feedback that's given and uh, we tweak things and, and then they learn and they continue to learn. And then we peak at the end of the year and yeah, we win some games or we win a championship or whatever. And so it was almost like a, a change in perspective for me, I guess. And, and how I went about my coaching that kind of changed my perspective on, being a coach, being a a teacher of the game. And I mentioned the feedback there. Mm -hmm. What does feedback look like for you during an on-court interaction with players? 
like the feedback I would give to a player? Yeah. Okay. Um, to, to aid and to help with the learning. And it could be a play. It could be a concept, anything. Uh, feedback to me looks like, I guess you could say descriptive, quick. Those are some immediate things that come to mind. Like, like the language I use matters, the amount of information. I'm, when I use the word quick, I meant like, you know, just one or two one or two interjections of feedback versus a whole clinic on something that I do think when I, when I receive feedback, I, I do feel like it sinks in better if it's specific and focused. And there may be more that the teacher or the mentor is wanting to, to tell me, but they're purposely withholding some things to sort of like, okay, try this thing to get that done. And then and then, okay, now that's better. Now, now fix this instead of just dumping it, fix this, 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 and this. It's sort of like trickled out. So that's what I, I would say what feedback would look like, or I, I would want it to look like is quick, specific, and maybe some purposeful withholding of everything I want to correct all at once to where we, we tackle things one at a time instead of just dumping tons of interjections on, a, on an athlete all at once. Have you also found that that's helped with them discovering on their own that has improved their learning when you withhold certain information? Yeah, I mean, I think I think sometimes maybe one one key correction sort of fixes the other things, you know, like so, or or, or helps those other things sort of lock into place. So I I find maybe you don't have to go back and interject again. Um, yeah, so I would say that. That's through trial and error. You know, I can remember plenty of times as a coach where just firing off 10 different things, you did this, this, and this, and this, and instead of sort of that patient one correction at a time approach. So mm -hmm. I think that, that, that works better. I'm realizing here, my questions would probably be their own episodes, but we'll go ahead and go on to the, this. Yeah. Part. Yeah spur some other things here all right so next one let me ask you what's the process and this kind of builds on that one but like what's the process from getting your players to the point where they actually execute in games the things that you practice man this is a great question how to get players to execute what you practice i i talk to a lot of coaches and and i hear this often like man we do it great in practice but then we get to the game and it just goes down the tubes right so I think the process is coming to grips with the timeline that this might take for for the teacher to to come to grips with that timeline that like you know habits changes in habits or say a new skill replacing an old skill that that you would prefer to see that there's there's really not immediacy there oftentimes that like I just said this one thing and all of a sudden the next day they did it perfect forever. I, I just think that that I, I get a lot of questions where I sense the coach is looking for like, hey, I'm going to ask Randy and he's going to tell me some great phrase or some um, some drill or something that's going to immediately erase the past and create a new future. And and I just think that for the coach, the teacher coming to grips that that like new habits and things seep in to your players games, not suddenly appear they mm -hmm. seep in like we saw you know like two more jump stops where and when it used to be then not not it never yeah you still you know maybe 
played off one foot a couple times, but hey, I saw a couple of jump stops uh, trickle into your game. For I'm just using that as a random example, but I think getting that timeline down in the teacher's head would help with some of the turmoil we feel that like there there is probably no sudden thing I can say or do to create like sudden the past is the past. This is a new future. I don't think it can be sudden. I'd say the second thing would be if it, oftentimes I see practices that don't look much like the game. So therefore the context in which a skill is rehearsed in say a drill just doesn't um, meet the demands of the game. So the translation is, is not going to be there. So I would say that that might be another possible way to speed up the appearance of some of these things you'd like to see more often in the game is, is create practice scenarios that, that are a little more game-like. It doesn't mean I'm just saying roll the balls out. I mean, I'm, what I'm saying is, is give it more game-like context, maybe sooner, more often, something like that. Yeah, the phrase that came out of my mouth and I know it comes out of a lot of coaches mouths you see something in a scrimmage or something in a game like scenario and you're like we just worked on that why mm -hmm. don't you and yeah. they don't understand the game context and once we made that move over to playing more small-sided games and putting things with constraints or incentives mm -hmm. that then I saw a faster translation from what we practiced to what we actually did in those scrimmages or in those games. So yeah, like take the skill and introduce it, but then quickly apply it in a real world scenario. I think that increases your chances of seeing it happen in a game, but it's yeah. still to me, the time, the timeline is the variable that we kind of got to come to better grips with as teachers that like it seeps in to players, not mm -hmm. sudden injection. I have this as another question, but it may just kind of be more of the same. What do you do then when they just don't get it? I think you look at regressing. Um, I know this is a skill I learned after I left coaching and went into the sports performance world of training athletes, you know, in their strength and conditioning. In the strength and conditioning realm was this idea of progressing an exercise or a movement or regressing an exercise or a movement. So I think there's, when they just don't get it, I think it's worth revisiting a, a possible regression to take, to take a drill, a scenario that maybe, maybe put them into, um, in, into a context they're not quite ready for, figure out how we can walk that back, touch on some of the basics again to, to regress. So I think that's also a good coaching skill is the idea of regression taking something back a step when it's just not seeping in that'd be my answer or, or one possible answer i taught a softball class in one of the textbooks that kind of introduced me to this concept years ago an example of when it comes to learning like pitches different pitches softball mm -hmm. baseball whatever um, you may have a pitcher who throws a great fastball but then they start working on a, a curveball or you know a change up or something you'll often find that when they go back to throwing the fastball, the fastball isn't as good as it was before mm -hmm. because there was the addition of those different motor skills that were needed to throw those other pitches. Right. right. <clears throat> and just making me aware of that as coach really helped 
because I think sometimes we go back to those other things and then we're frustrated that the players don't do them even as well as they did before. We're like, well, you should be even better because we're later on in the season. But that's not how learning and skill development happen. And so just being aware of that helped me even in my practice planning to think, even though I'm introducing these new concepts, I still need to go back and make sure that we're working on those previous concepts that they did well because they probably will regress a little bit if we Mm -hmm. don't address those as we continue to introduce these new concepts. Yeah, we've left that. So we, yeah. yeah, I think too that like, I think when they just don't get it, it, it might be worth revisiting the, the way you laid out the material as the teacher. What mm-hmm. I've read some things and, and have experienced this is, is if our way of teaching it is, is all internal cues, like, you know, you should have this, right, your right foot or your left knee bent this way and that way like that, sometimes like that doesn't resonate. But if we could go back and present the same material using external cueing or analogy, um, lots of good stuff. I read in a book called The Language of Coaching by Nick Winkleman that if you haven't read it or haven't had him on as a guest, I would highly recommend Mm -hmm. speaking with him. He's very, wrote a great book about how the way we cue athletes helps them get things and and research shows that if i'm telling if i'm all everything coming out of my mouth has to do with a direction and a body part like your right knee your left hip your like that sometimes the learner has a hard time but if i can make an analogy you know imagine you're thrusting the ball over a 20-foot bar like you know then the the pattern the movement the the will sort of select itself Hmm. so like the cueing style could be instead of going back and just repeating, Hey, I told you to put your right knee here and your left foot there. Like, don't, I mean, just doing it again, didn't work once. It's probably not going to work the second time. So revisit the way in which you presented the material thinking outcomes, external cueing analogies, comparisons, things like that, that might help something click. A big thanks to SeatGeek for sponsoring a quick timeout podcast. SeatGeek is the ticket app that takes the confusion out of buying tickets. They've made it simple for you by putting a 0 to 10 score on each ticket to make sure that you're getting a great deal on that next ticket. My viewers get $20 off their first ticket purchase with my code, Coach Miller. So before you purchase tickets to your next sporting event or concert, head over to SeatGeek.com and use the code Coach Miller to get $20 off your first purchase. How do you get your players to understand that failure in the short term can really help them in the long run. You as a coach know that. And I think us as adults know that even though we don't even buy into it sometimes. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we understand the concept though, but how do you help your players with that? I think you, you um, show patience, you show empathy toward the learner um, that, that, I know this is a struggle right now, and that's okay. I I, I think um, I think that's 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 the best way would be to accept that there's going to be front end struggles to get to you know back end payoffs. I, I think I would explain to that athlete who was struggling in the short term to say, hey, anything you've ever learned from walking to riding a bike to tying your shoes you once were terrible at, I mean, everything, 
you know, babies fall down a lot before they walk. So it's part of it and, and showing patience and, and empathy toward the learner during that learning phase, I think is the only way out. I think even in the course of like a season, I'm thinking about last season for us, failure in certain areas um, expose things that we both needed to work on and address that um, we didn't know was a problem at the time. And yeah. so from that perspective, it wasn't that we were aware of something, weren't good at it. So we kept working harder at it. It was that we didn't know it was a problem. Yeah. And so it allowed us to recognize that and then made us stronger in that area. And then the second thing was there were there was failure in certain areas that demonstrated to us this just doesn't fit who we are this year with this team. Mm -hmm. We need to throw this off and find something different, find something new. Yeah. Because you may think as a coach going into a year, you're going to be good at something or they're going to buy into something or this is going to work because I saw it work for this other group and they're similar to us, but it really doesn't. And, um, you know, there's probably some biases that can be tied mm -hmm. into that. You know, looking at the results and the failure, um, not just from one game, but like over the course of things like this just isn't working for us. And both of those scenarios allowed us to get stronger and improve as a team. I, so. I, I remember watching uh, and I remember this as a coach and uh, and it was reinforced by I was watching an NFL game one time and the commentator said the biggest growth in a team. And this is an NFL. So, you know, they play once a week, every Sunday, typically. Right. So. He said the biggest growth in a team comes between week one and week two. And that, I remember coaching and feeling that way. Like we have our preseason practices and, and you know, like I'm, I'm giving my sermons about you got to do it this way. You got to do it this way. And, and, and then we go play someone. And then like <laughs> the way I was telling you, you got to do it this way is like exposed right there on film against a competition. And then now the growth accelerates. I, I think that that, that competition reveals like the importance sometimes of like, Hey, you needed to fail. Like we needed that adversity. We needed those mistakes in week one of the NFL to be better in week two, because now we got it on film against an opponent who's trying to win too you know, of why what I've been telling you through all of training camp really matters. Mm -hmm. And then it's like the player's like, okay, okay, I get it now. It's like nothing reveals it quite like competition. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage coaches like hang on through another week or two or three or four of competition before we declare this isn't working. You know, like, mm -hmm. like, um, because like you need some of those lessons that are only exposed against live bullets to kind of get your players to go, okay, now I get why coach said I've got to, you know, do this or that. Right. Because, okay. Yeah. Last one here. Uh, the, the lesson that you look back at and you say, I wish I would have done either as a younger, younger coach, mm -hmm. <clears throat> or I like, I think the great thing about coaching basketball is, you basically get to start over every year. Like yeah. I, I know you're not starting necessarily. Hopefully yeah. you're not starting over. You get, you get a fresh start. Right. You get a fresh start every year. And that lesson that then allows you to start out that season or start out with that team or whatever that program, the lesson that you've learned strictly from a teaching perspective. So not X's and O's, not whatever, but you know, from a teaching of the game point of view, 
what is the lesson that you feel like you want to improve on every year or you'd encourage coaches to think about? I would encourage coaches to think about your job as a, as a teacher of the subject of basketball is to close the knowledge gap between you and your players that we want to become almost peers like you the players are as smart and as insightful about the game as i am i think and it leads i think it was your first question you asked was sort of like that realization when i went from being a coach to the teacher of the game that i wish i would have you know this this is what i would say is is the key is like to some coaches, it's it's okay. I have this knowledge way up here, and you're down here as the player. It's okay that that gap exists. Just go do what I say. But I think my the lesson I learned was now we can go further when when I impart knowledge upon the players, and we become more alike in our knowledge, mm-hmm. in our in our viewpoint as as player and coach to taxi back to your first question that that was that sort of midpoint in the time that I coached where I moved say from, Hey, I'm up here. You're down here. Just do what I say to like, okay, no, didn't you see how you were defended there? And didn't, if you're defended this way, then do that instead of it being sort of like down here in terms of level of understanding, I was asking for a player. I wanted it to come up here. Now that came with more difficulty that I had to give freedom for mistakes. I had to give, you know, our practices had to look way different and and less tidy and clean. But, but I would say the lesson I would, I would impart upon the teacher of any subject. And we're talking about basketball would be your mission is to close the gap between your knowledge and your audience's knowledge. And in this case, that's basketball players. I think I've heard you say it before, but like you're kind of working to work yourself out of a job. Yes. From, a, from, from a player's perspective, like I, I don't want them to be reliant on me. I want them to be able to understand what we're trying to do and to be able to execute that without me having to lead their hand through all of it. Yeah. Make yourself increasingly unnecessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas at first I'm highly necessary. You don't know a lot about basketball or this offense or this defense, but we're going to close that gap to where you can self-correct and you can, I know coach, I, we should have done that, you know, before you even have to interject, the players kind of like see the way you see. So there's five questions for you to ask yourself. I think it's great to be self, you know, to be reflective of, of, you know, how you teach, how you coach the game. And a lot of us for improvement over the year, think I need to add more knowledge. And uh, those that have heard Randy talk, that's not, (laughs) that's usually not the way to go. Well, Uh, I mean, I think you need to add more teaching skill and knowledge is sometimes a part of that, but sure. not, not always. You don't need a new press. You don't need to do a baseline out of bounds play. Probably um, just need to teach the one you've already got a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks to all of you who joined us this week. If you missed any part of the live show, you can go back and watch or listen to that. Visit radius athletics on YouTube to see the full interview, or you can go to any podcast platform and search hoops form. And there you'll find the audio version of the show. For Randy Sherman, I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again next week on Hoops Forum.